Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 19th of February 2012, entitled The Horsemen of Tribulation, and the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Let's take our scripture open to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6, many times you don't um, you don't study over chapters like this because as believers, these are chapters, chapter, actually chapter Revelation chapter 4 through chapter 18 uh, doesn't even apply to us if we're believers. If we're not, it does. Uh, the book of Revelation is broken down into three parts. I'll speak a little bit about that not only this morning in this service or session, but at the 11 o'clock hour that uh, the book of Revelation is broken down into three parts. It's uh, Revelation, if you'll turn over to Revelation 1 and look at verse number 19, I'll show you the three parts that it's broken down into. The outline is this way for the book of Revelation. He said, write the things which thou hast seen, as past tense, the things which are present tense, and the things which shall be hereafter. So you've got past, present, future. So Revelation chapter number 1, verse 9 through 20 is the things which thou hast seen. That was the revealing of Christ. I don't know what your Bible says at the top of the heading of the book. Mine says the revelation of St. John the Divine. Now, that's not inspired. That's just information to let us know who wrote the book. But what I've done in my Bible, not to try to correct it but to enhance it, is I've marked through St. John the Divine and I've put the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not a revealing of John the divine, the, the apostle. This is the revealing of Christ. Okay? So, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20 is the things which thou hast seen, or the things which you have seen, which is past tense. Then the things he says which are. That's present tense. That's Revelation chapter number 2, verse 1, through Revelation chapter number 3, verse 22. That's the things which are the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia, all right? Asia Minor. Now, that doesn't mean that there were only seven churches. There were more than that. But these letters apply to these churches, and those churches represent what I believe, if you look at it, a chronological view of the church age in which we live. You've got the church at Ephesus. You've got the church at Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Sardis, and then Laodicea. So these churches represent a timeline of the church age in which we live. So you've got Ephesus. Ephesus was a passionless church. Why? Because he said, I have somewhat against you because you have what? Left your first love. Now, some of you young men and young ladies in this room think you're in love. Uh, you really don't know what that means yet. You might, uh, but there come a time when, listen, because love is an act of the will. All right, you don't fall in love because if you did, you could fall out of love. All right, love is an act of the will. You'll understand after 22 years of marriage what an act of the will is. All right, because some mornings I wake up, my wife is not as beautiful uh, and I'm not as handsome as I was when she first married me. Okay, and so you, you love somebody not because of the emotion, but because it's just the way God loves us. God loves us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. So... Ephesus was a passionless church. Then you get down to Smyrna. They were the persecuted church. Can anybody class tell me the two churches 
in Revelation 2 and 3 that did not have an indictment from the Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't say, I have somewhat against your... You've done something that I have ought against you. Uh, there's two churches. One Smyrna, the other one is... Anybody know? Huh? Anybody? Church at Philadelphia. Those two churches... Those two churches did not have a condemnation from the Lord. They had a commendation. The church at Smyrna was a persecuted church. The church at, Thyata I mean, at, at Philadelphia was a performing church. They literally were trying to work out their salvation. That doesn't mean that you have to work for your salvation. That means you let salvation work itself out in evidence of what you do for others. All right? In Jesus' name. So, the things which thou hast seen is what? The past. The things which are present. The things which thou hast seen, Tim, is from Revelation 4 to the end of the book. That's the things of the future. All right? Now, let me explain something. In the gifts that we have today, young people, I don't know what your gift is, but can I tell you this? Every single person on the sound of my voice has at least one gift that God has given you if you read Romans chapter number 12. All right? Now, there are gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 that are not for today. Okay, those were the manifestational gifts. Those were gifts, Malcolm, that God gave to the apostles to show the glory of God. They did not have the completed Word of God. Now, today we have motivational gifts. You say, preacher, what are they? Well, one is prophecy. You say, well, preacher, does that mean that we got people that can tell the future? No, the word prophecy there doesn't mean foretelling. It means forth-telling. See, you may have the gift of prophecy. That means, you know what, you just call what's black is black and what's white is white. There's no gray areas. You're just a prophet. In other words, you foretell. All right, that's what prophecy means there. Then there's the gift of teaching. Some of you young ladies will probably have the privilege of teaching young kids. I thank God for Shelly. Shelly's taken her gift. I believe that's one of your gifts. Now, you might have more than that, which I think you do. One of them's exhortation. You're an encourager to me. I thank God for the courtesies. They are encouragers. They encourage my family. But you know what? Everybody, Evie, you've got gifts. I mean, you've got gifts. But you know what? Might not just have one. You've got a lot. But everybody in here, listen to me, has at least one gift. And if you want to be effective in the work of God and to the body of Christ, you've got to use your gift. Listen, if you don't use your gift... Now listen, everybody in here, look at me. If you don't use your gift, I've got people in my church who have gifts, Amber, but they're not using them. And you know what's happened? Sometimes when you don't, listen, a member of a body, for instance, if you break an arm or a leg and it's put in a cast, after six weeks they take the cast off, guess what? That limb looks different than the one that wasn't in the cast. Why? Because it's not been exercised. Young people, if you don't use your gift in the body of Christ, the body will be malformed. It won't, be, it won't form properly. So listen, if you can sing and they need members in the choir, why don't you use your gift and sing? If you can play an instrument, and you know what? The church needs people to accompany the music. Why don't you use your gift? Some of you young men, you know what? God's given you the, 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 the gift of ministry. And I may be speaking to somebody here this weekend that you are here and you're saved by the grace of God. There's not a question in your mind of where you'll spend eternity. You've accepted Christ. But can I ask you something? Has God placed on your heart something about the ministry that you want to do for full-time service? 
Because I guarantee you, every one of these things I do, there's always one young person that is battling and struggling with the fact that they may be the one that's called into full-time ministry. If you are, I can tell you this, don't sit around and debate with God, all right? If God's called you, run the white flag of surrender up and give it all to Jesus. Amen? All right, now, the church at Smyrna, and listen, were persecuted churches and performing churches. That means they were working their salvation out. I said all of that to say this. You get to chapter number 4, and it says immediately, John said, I was caught up. All right? This is a picture of the rapture of the church. He is, and listen, yes, the book of Revelation can, excuse me, can be muffin. Sorry, hold on a minute. <laughs> Whew. The book of Revelation can be metaphorical in places. But you know what, folks? Symbolism is all throughout the Bible. Hey, listen, the ark is a symbol of salvation. You've got to go into the ark for safety. You've got to be in Christ to be saved. There's all kind of symbolism. The book of Revelation does have symbols. There are metaphorical things. But it always... The book of Revelation always, young people, will tell you when it's metaphorical and always will interpret what it did. We saw that yesterday in Revelation 13 and, verse, and chapter 17, didn't we? So the Bible will always interpret itself. I mean that. So if you look at it, this in Revelation 4, Evie, is a picture, a symbol of the rapture of the church. Now... Because I, the reason I know that is because after Revelation 4, all the way to chapter number 21, you don't hear the word church used again except one time. So the church ain't there. I know I said ain't. I'm sorry. The church is not there. Okay? Isn't. So we have a bad, bad habit in America of saying ain't. And, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's just a bad habit. Y'all pray for me. Okay? So... You've got the things which shall be hereafter. So you've got the future. Well, the church is raptured. And listen, then the Lord gets retribution. And guess what happens? The reason he's getting retribution is because of what's taking place. I told you yesterday, what is the primary focus and reason for the seven-year tribulation? Anybody? Why is God pouring out the wrath of God on the earth. Well, number one, because people have denied Him and shaken their fists in the face of God. And God is, listen to me, holy and just. Can I say that again? God is holy and just. And you know what? I want to be me and I'll let God be God. I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions of why He has to uh, pour out the wrath like He does. But the primary reason is to purge and to refine and try to shape the heart and turn it back, the heart of Israel, back to Him. See, young people, God has a clock. That clock right now has stopped dealing with Israel. The, the hands have stopped. But guess what? Those hands will start ticking again when the rapture of the church takes place and that 70th week of Daniel starts back in that seven weeks, that seven-year period, that's that one week, seven-year period is the tribulation period. And the clock, God's watch, if I can say it that way, starts ticking again. Because he's dealing with the nation of Israel. You know what, folks? We need to really pray. And I hope you young people understand this at a young age, how important it is that we side and we rally behind the nation of Israel. Do you understand? We talked yesterday, and I may, maybe some of you missed this in all of the, you know, in, 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 the, in the, the, the ball-headed preacher's, you know, dissertation. Maybe you missed this. 
But yesterday, you know what we talked about just briefly about four promises that God made to His covenant people, Israel. One of them is the Abrahamic covenant. You know what it says in Genesis chapter 12? What's it say? I will bless them that bless thee. Hissa said this to Abraham, Dino. He said, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the father in the nation of Israel, Abraham. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the seashore. Any of you go down to the south part of England and try to walk the coastline and count every sand, every pebble of sand? You can't do it. He said, that's how big you're going to be. Now, young people, here's what concerns me. I have seen in the last two years our nation have a soft position on the nation of Israel. I have watched some of our government leaders say that we don't need to rally behind Israel. That scares me because God said, if you don't, I will curse you. He said that, I didn't. God said that. And you know what? It's happening here in the UK too, and you know that. You know what? A lot of people have asked me, is America or the United Kingdom in prophecy? Well, a lot of people, if you read Ezekiel chapter 38 and it goes through there, uh, matter of fact, turn there. I want to show you something before we look at, at, at Revelation chapter number 6. And I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I only got 30 minutes. I'm trying to just, you know, fire both barrels off at you, okay? So listen, look at, look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 very quickly. Ezekiel chapter 38. This is that great battle where all the nations of the earth try to come together against Israel, God's covenant people. And isn't it an amazing thing that every bit of this is going to happen over a little bitty sliver of land right off the Mediterranean Sea, which pe most people look at as insignificant. You know what? It's not. Do you understand, young people, that Israel, actually the Dead Sea, is known as the navel of the earth? The, they, they, even, they even reference it themselves and say it's the center of the earth. Why? Because in the Dead Sea, they say that the minerals and deposits in that sea are up in excess worth of about $14 trillion. Do you know why we read right here? Look at, look at Ezekiel chapter 38, look at verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog. Now, many people say, well, what in the world is Gog and what is Magog? Well, it's a reference to ancient day Russia. All right? You may not know this, but in World War II, Russia sent out pencils all over Europe, over 400,000 pencils with the inscription on it, Gog of Magog, to represent them. Isn't that funny? All we had to do was read our Bible to know they was going to do that. But they sent out pencils called Gog of Magog. This is one of those great battles. Now, by the way, Armageddon, Armageddon is going to be World War I. See, we think we've been through one world war. We think we've been through the, the Second World War. No, the whole world wasn't fighting at that time. It was just uh, most of the major nations. But there will come a day when World War I will take place, and that's the Battle of Armageddon, and it's going to be fought in the Valley of Megiddo, a place that is only 24 by 24 by 14 miles in a triangle. Now, young people, it's going to start and culminate right here. This is where it starts. Look at this skirmish, if you will. The land, Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach. Some Bible scholars have narrowed that down to be the city of Moscow and Tubol, or Tobolsk, which is another Russian city. And prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, because, behold, I am against thee, O God, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubol. 
and I will turn thee back, and I will put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all them, uh, clothed with swords of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them hand handling swords. Now, he's getting ready to go into a list of nations that will come with Russia, that great bear. By the way, Russia is not dead, it is only asleep. This has to be the king of the north. It talks about a king from the south and a king from the east. All right? We might look at those if we get there. But I want to explain something, young people. This is that great battle where the king from the north comes down against Israel. A lot of people have asked, why is Russia so interested in Israel? I mean, what's their interest? Well, I think for three reasons. Number one, the Dead Sea. They know how rich Israel is. Most of you that have lived here, I think about Panos and his family, Romani, and y'all been, y'all lived in this, this region for quite some time, not in England, but in that region over there. You know how rich in minerals and resources Israel really is. It is a plush, plush piece, fertile piece of soil on the face of this earth. Russia knows that. Russia wants Israel for its spoils. That's what it says. They're going to come down to take a spoil. They're going to take Listen, they're going to take rich reward from, from, from uh, uh, obtaining Israel. But the second reason I think they're coming against Israel, young people, is because they need a warm water port. Do you understand it is very hard for Russia to import or export their materials because they don't have a warm water port? Guess what the closest one is? Probably right around Syria or Israel. And they know, you know, because that's the closest they point they've got to the Mediterranean Sea. They want a warm water port. But there are some people that have let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. And one of the reasons, Tyler, they want uh, to, to, to obtain Israel is because they want to make a major, major highway all the way down from Russia into the northern part of Africa. The only way they're able to do that is to obtain Israel. Now notice in verse number 4, young people, what he says. He said, I will turn thee back, speaking to, speaking to his people, and put hooks into thy jaws. He's talking to that great leader of Magog, Gog. And he said, I'm going to put hooks in your jaws. A lot of people have said, well, Russia's going to come down and they're going to make war against. You know what? What I read in my Bible? I don't even think some of them want to do it, but God says, I'm going to drag them down to start the war because you know what that has to do? That has to bring about all of the chain events in prophecy. All of the events have to happen because of this one right here. You say, preacher, why would you tell us all this? Because of the nations that are included with the king of the north? I want you to look at what it says. Look at verse number 5. Here's the countries that are with Russia when they come against Israel. Now, I'm not making this up. You can read this. By the way, my Bible says this was written in 587 B.C. This was written 600 years before Christ. Ezekiel prophesied this and he said, The king from the north, Gog of Magog, would come against Israel. These will be the nations that come with them. Look at it. Verse number 6. 5, excuse me. Persia. Anybody know what Persia is? Modern day what? Exactly. Anybody know who the leader of Iran is right now? Ahmadinejad. And I said it this week, he's a bold-faced idiot. He's crazy. Do you hear me? He's a crazy man. Somebody said, well, he must be the Antichrist. He ain't smart enough to be the Antichrist. He runs his mouth too much. Look at the next country. What's the next one that's going to come with them? Ethiopia. Where we heard that from? 
all over the news. Look at the next one. And can somebody read the next one for me? Did, no, no, that wasn't loud. Who? who? Libya. Thank God Gaddafi's dead. He's crazy too. He was crazy too. But do you know what? Their country's not going to die. They're in civil unrest and they're still going to have a leader that raises up and they're going to come against Israel. Look at this. With them and all them with shields and helmets. Look at the next one, verse number 6. Gomer, aren't you glad that we live in cities like Birmingham and London? Could you imagine saying where you're from? I'm from Gomer. We had a show in America years ago called Gomer Pyle, and he was a, you know, just a kind of a simple-minded uh, Marine. And uh, one of his one of his uh, famous say- statement was, "Golly, you know, can you imagine being from Gomer? <laughs> you know, I'm from Gomer." Uh, but but verse six says Gomer, and 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 historians have said that Gomer. And I'm not. Listen, you don't have to study too hard and too long to figure out where these nations are from. Gomer, Tim, is modern day Germany. Hello, Germany. But but here's what's amazing. 600 years before Christ ever was born, this was prophesied, and look what he says. Gomer and all his bands, or everybody, all his people. See, there was a day, y'all know this, when Germany was divided. Guess what happened in 1984? Wall fell down. The wall was taken out. You know what, Tyler? 600 years before Christ ever was born, Ezekiel looked out through the portals of time and said, you know what, there'll be a day when that wall will be knocked down and Germany will be one unified people. It says it right here in the Bible. Look at this. And the house of Togomar. Anybody guess what Togomar is? Somebody said it, I think. Turkey. Now all these countries are coming with Russia against Israel. But guess what? They will be defeated. You don't know why I know that? I'm getting ready to show you. All right, look back. Look over at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And the reason I, I just read all of those uh, to you is because, I mean, basically, our question this week is what in the world's going on? I can tell you what's going on. Things are being put into place. Things are being put... Who would have ever thought that we would have read a a portion of Scripture that was written in 587 B.C. and it's just like reading the USA Today? Listen, we have never lived in a day and age where there have been civil unrest in all the northern African countries like there are right now. Egypt, Ethiopia, listen, Libya. You look look at the civil unrest in Southwest Asia. Folks, it didn't do, listen, and I know there's a lot of people that say, well, I was against it. You know what? I, I, I was a Marine. Eric was a Marine. And we wasn't much for the war in Iraq. But you know what? We had to do what we had to do. And if we'd have taken care of business in 1991, we'd have had no need to be there in 2001. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think anybody likes war. I was a, ser- listen, I was a serviceman. I served my country for eight years. That young, that young man that came with us, hey, listen, he was wounded in action, has a silver star and a purple heart. But you know what? I don't particularly want to go out on a battlefield and get shot up. I didn't join the Marine Corps for that. I joined the Marine Corps to defend my country. That's why guys in Britain joined the military, to defend the sovereign nation. But you know what? 
You look at it now, and Iraq is basically the way it was 10 years ago. It's back to civil unrest. It's, it's falling apart. Now, listen, folks. You say, well, did it do any good? I believe it did. But here's the thing. There's some things that we can't reverse. There are things that we are not going to be able to, 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 to play on to make anything, any change. Some of this has to happen for prophecy to be fulfilled. That's just the way it is. You say, well, it just don't make sense. You know what? There's a lot of things that don't make sense to me. But God's goodness and His love ain't one of them. Or two of them. I'm just going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him. Look at Revelation chapter number 6. You look over here and the church has been raptured out of here. Revelation 4 is a picture of that. Then you get to Revelation 5. We've been, listen, we stand before Jesus Christ at the beam of seat and it says in chapter number 5 that we shall receive crowns on our heads ultimately to take off Evie and cast them back at Jesus' feet. I think about, you know, you're going to sing this week at the, it was called the Brits. And, you know, we have things like you said, the Grammys or the Academy Awards, something like that, and it's the Music Awards. And, you know, I think about all these trophies that people get for their accomplishments, and, you know, they go up and they give that speech, and I said this this week, they give that speech, and, man, they're just excited, and some of them say, boy, I'll tell you what, it was great to, to be able to sing. You know what? One of these days, the, listen, the, the reward or the trophy we get, we're not going to put on the mantle. We're going to take it off and slide it back at the feet of Jesus. And young people, you know what Revelation 5 says that the church is rewarded. That means you know what? You're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of what you've done after you've been saved and receive rewards ultimately to put them back at Jesus' feet. Amazing, isn't it? And then you get to Revelation 6 and listen, this is when the seal judgments start. Look at Revelation 6 very quickly. I don't have it about two minutes and I ain't even gotten them a text. So anyway, it says, And I saw when the Lamb, look at this now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts. Now, understand this ain't Godzilla. This ain't something like, No, it's a beast-like man. He has beast-like natures. That means he's fierce. That means he's out of control, you know? This ain't some big, you know, bear going, Sorry. Scared myself. This, he has beast-like natures. One of the beasts. Now, understand what we're getting ready to read. We're going to read about four personages, but it's the same person. Same person, just four different characteristics. Look at verse number two. I saw and behold a what? White horse. Now, you know what? A lot of people have said this is Jesus. I beg to differ. I'll show you why. Look at it. I saw a whole white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. What do we use a bow for, or what does a... A, a person in the ancient military use a bow for, for defense. Okay? So it says he had a bow. Then look at it. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. The reason I know this is not Jesus Christ. Now, I know he's on a white horse, but understand, the Antichrist is coming to what? Oppose and imitate everything that our Savior is. So why wouldn't he come on a white horse? 
That's what we've read, and that's what a lot of people see. I contend to you, there's a lot of people that's going to go into tribulation and remember what they heard a preacher say one time about Jesus and what I'll say this morning, 11 o'clock hour, about Jesus coming in on a white horse. And they're going to go, when they get into tribulation, because they hadn't trusted Christ, they've trusted all their good works. They said, oh, I'm all right. I hadn't killed nobody. I hadn't stole anything. I hadn't cussed my mom and dad out. I'm a pretty good old person compared to so-and-so. You're not compared to so-and-so. You're compared to the Savior. And they're going to remember what they heard in the Bible about a white horse. And you know what they'll say? Here he comes on a white horse. We've got to trust him. See, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says in that day, they listen, in that day it says, don't be so soon shaken. Don't you be fooled that the day of the Lord is at hand. He said, you know what? It, it will come as a thief in the night. And when that person who is in control says peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as a, listen, a woman that's with child and she has birth pains. It's going to come upon them just like that. The young people, let me tell you something. This one on the white horse, the reason I know this is not Jesus Christ is because number one, he's got a bow in his hand. When Jesus comes back, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit. When Jesus comes back, he will not need a bow. He will not need his own army. He won't need a nuclear warhead. He won't need tanks or any type of artillery. All he'll do in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4, Tenica, it says that he will smite the God-haters and the ones that shaken their fists in the face of him. He will smite the nations with the breath of his lips. The same one that spoke everything into existence will do this. Listen, he will smite the nations with nothing but his word. He won't need a warhead. He won't need a weapon. He's going to use his word. That's the reason I know this is not Jesus. The second reason I know it is because it says that on his head was a crown. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's two words in the Greek language for crown. Stephanus and diadem. That's the English version. Stephanus is a temporal crown. Diadem is for a monarch or a king. You know what the word right here for crown is? Stephanus. It's not diadem. So I know this is not Jesus because guess what? The first verse says, I saw when the Lamb opened the seals. So the Lamb opened the seals. He's not the same one on the horse. So number one, the riders or these horsemen during this tribulation period, the first one's on a white horse. His name is Deceiver. He's going to be a deceiver. He's coming as an imitator, as a counterfeit. Can I ask you all something? Do people... In England, if they want to counterfeit something, do they get these big presses and put it in hiding so they can, they can counterfeit Cadbury wrappers? Oh, man, we got a good plan. We're going to counterfeit these Cadbury wrappers and we're going to sell them. Nobody's going to buy that mess. No, you know what you do? You buy all those big presses and you do it in secret so you can counterfeit that which is legitimate, that which has price, that which is legitimate is money. You print pounds if you want to counterfeit something. Do you know when they use people at banks to check out if money's counterfeit, you know what they don't do? They don't put them in a room, Dino, and look at that which is artificial. They put them in a room for weeks and weeks and weeks and make sure they look at what is genuine. And that way, if anything artificial shows up, they know exactly that it ain't the real thing. See, we look too long at the artificial. We need to be looking at the genuine. And then when we look at the genuine, Romani, we'll know what is artificial. Amen? That's what we need to do as God's people. We need to know Jesus so well. That if anything else comes into our life or anybody else says something that's contrary to what God has said or what Jesus has said, we go, time out. Huh, that ain't true. So listen, the first rider on the white horse is a deceiver. 
Second rider, got to go real quick. Second rider is on a red horse. And it says power is given unto him to take peace from the earth. All right, the first rider is going to come and go, oh, I've got a plan. I'm going to sign the peace treaty. Everything's going to be okay. How many times have we heard that? Everything's going to be fine. But that same rider, Tim, on a white horse that's going to come to promise peace, now is coming on a red horse to do what? The, listen, the exact opposite, and that is to take peace. Do you know what the Scripture says? At that time, one-third of all the population will be snuffed out, not by God, but by this person that's the imitator of God. One-third. Let me ask you something. If we did that right now, if that happened right now, right now, how many people would that be? That'd be close... And that'd be close to 2.8 million people. Now, the church is gone. Realize that. The people that have trusted Christ, gone. You say, well, preacher, there are going to be people saved during the tribulation? Yes. Millions of people will be saved during the tribulation. Millions. Millions of people. Are you here listening to me? Millions of people will be saved during the tribulation period. But it'll be no one in this service or this weekend services who has heard that Jesus Christ died for you and rose from the dead. If you hear that and understand it and reject it, you're setting yourself up for the biggest deception in all the world because if the rapture takes place and you go into the tribulation, I believe the welcome mat is... I say, and I don't... Listen, it's not based on my opinion. That's based on the principle and precepts of what God said. And that's the only standard I got to go by. Not me, but that word. Now... The first rider is on the white horse. He's a deceiver. The second rider on the red horse is a destroyer. He's coming to take peace. There's two other riders very quickly. One is on a black horse. I called the first one deceiver. I called the second one destroyer. But the rider on the third horse is a black horse. And I call him dearth. Why? Because dearth is another name for famine. It says that he will cause famine to come across the earth. And in that day, listen to this, in that day, he said, the people will say, or the, this person will say, one measure of wheat for a penny. Now, that makes no sense to us. But in that day, the way they bought things mattered. And listen, the Holy Spirit of God had this pinned down so the people in that day would understand it. One measure of wheat for a penny. See, penny or Roman denarius or whatever, that was the way they bought stuff. In that day, listen to this, in that day you could buy eight measures of wheat for a penny, but he said during this time you'll only be able to buy one for a penny. You know what I call that? That's pretty bad inflation, isn't it? <laughs> so in other words, if you went to a Coke machine or you went to the counter to buy a Coke today, and let's say it's 75 pence or a pound, in the tribulation period it'd be close to 10 pounds for one Coke. Inflation will run rampant. Who in the wide world that drives? How many of you drive? Did you ever think you'd pay a, do, a, a one pound 50? Is it, what is it, one pound 39? 143 for gas? For nothing more that's going to get in a car and poof, it's gone? That's the way I used to feel about diapers. Why do we buy, we buy diapers and what do we do? They poof, in them and then we just throw them away. It's like, it's just like throwing money away. I just say every time I wish I'd go, I gotta go and just hold them right over the toilet. Save a lot of money, amen. I don't know where I got that from, but anyway, just forgive me. I mean, listen, inflation's gonna run rampant. And guess what's gonna happen? Because inflation's so bad, people are gonna starve because they can't afford to buy anything. 
But the, the, the last rider is on a pale horse. It says a green horse or a pale colored horse. Now listen to this. I call him death. And it says, now we've already talked about that red, that right on the red horse is already taken. He's taken life from people on the earth. This is not God that did that. That's the Antichrist. The Antichrist, listen, has, is the destroyer and he is with a sword and he is, listen, taken life from one third of the population. After that, okay, 2.8 billion people. That's down from 7 billion down to about what? 4.3. All right, so 4.2. Now, it says that the next rider, the, the, the greenish colored horse, is a horse that is literally called death. And it's his, listen, his responsibility from Satan to take one-fourth of life that's left. That would mean another 1.1 million. And folks, this is only the first judgments. This is not even the vile judgments. Somebody asked me, said, man, I'll tell you, this is kind of, kind of desolate. Well, it is if you don't know Jesus. If you do know Him, listen, you better thank God for the grace of God. You hear me? Because God's grace right now says, listen, whosoever will, let Him come and take the water of life freely. Anybody that wants to get saved can. The welcome mats out. God says, come. Come! There's going to come a day when God has to do what He does, and that is to be just and holy. And there has to be a consequence for sin, judgment. Jesus paid for that sin. Jesus paid for it. Now let me explain something. I would not leave you desolate. Listen, we've talked about a deceiver. We've talked about a destroyer. We've talked about a, a, a rider on a horse called dearth or famine. We've talked about death. But this morning, after we get done praying and y'all go into group sessions for about 10 minutes, we're going to talk about a deliverer. We're going to talk about a deliverer. Listen, the reason that I would even talk about this among you young people is because I believe our time is short. And we need to reach those that don't have Him. It's not your duty to save anybody. You can't. But you can give them the truth and tell them what Jesus did for you and then in turn tell them what Jesus did for them. Folks, this world ain't about us. There is a cause that's bigger than us, Doug. A cause that's much bigger than us. I've got a mother who's not saved. You don't think I want to reach her? Listen, folks, I don't want to be separated from anybody. I want everybody to go. I believe God does too. You say, well, well when will we know that's right? That's only God's business. God knows when He's going to rapture His church. God knows how many people are going to get in the family of God. I don't know that, but it's my duty, if I don't know it, to reach as many people as I can. Amen? The reason I tell you any of this is because, you know what? We've got family and friends that are lost who need Christ. We need to share with them. Listen, they have a responsibility to choose. We've got a responsibility to give it out. All right? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that we, your children, I just want to thank you that we, your children, know you, and that we don't have to, we don't have to be involved, nor will we be judged because we've already it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation in them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, Lord, thank you for your grace. 
Lord, please help us to have a burden because of what we read today of what's going to take place in that seven-year period called the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. And Lord, we love you. Help our lives to be a demonstration of how much we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 